Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, we're in Revelation 3.14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, so very important here again, if you're new or visiting, if you're an unbeliever as well as a believer, this is not talking about the physical ear, it's talking about your spiritual soul. And when you hear the word heart in the Bible, it's most of the time talking about your soul, your inner being, your personality, who you, who you are. So Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Notice plural, churches, to every Bible-believing Christian. Because oftentimes we think of a church as a building. Well, I went to church today. No, you are the church. You went to a building today. When you leave, the church leaves and goes out for the work of the ministry. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this moment in time of eternity. It's just a few moments. We are stepping ever so closely to your son coming home for his bride, the church. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to freely have a Bible on our lap to freely pray, to freely sing. We know this is not legal in many countries. So, Father, we thank you for that freedom we still have. And, Lord, we don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to be so comfortable that we forget why we're even here. We want your Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us into your Son's image, day by day, moment by moment. So, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're wrapping up our study of the seven churches this morning. And once again, let's touch base on the overriding characteristic of each church. So Ephesus was a church lacking in sincere love. Smyrna was, a, was the persecuted church. Pergamos was the compromising church. Thyatira was the corrupt church. Now, we don't want this exercise to be a college education, memorization We want to be able to look back, and every time you read your Bible, and I encourage you to do a daily reading schedule, 
If you get the reading schedule that we have, you're going to read through the Old Testament once per year. You're going to read through the New Testament twice per year. So you're going to read these verses at least twice during the year. And so this is not an exercise of just education. Oh, memorize this. Okay, I need to get these things down. No, 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 no. Heart transformation. Thyatira, again, was a corrupt church. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. And now we look into Laodicea, which could be characterized as the lukewarm church. Again, each church needs to be looked at historically. They were actual churches at that time. Each church could have been, and still can be, every Christian church, used to help evaluate the local church as a whole over the centuries. Each characteristic can also be applied individually, for every believer is unique. And in some of these churches that we have studied, there were a faithful few, very important here, because this is applicable to us today in 23, There were a few that had not given in to the current culture or the atmosphere of that specific church. You see, this church wraps up what Jesus talked about in Revelation 1.19. Write the things which you have seen. Those things were, chapter 1, Jesus glorified. His glorification, his rightful place in heaven. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Jesus laid aside his eternal glory momentarily to come on this earth take up frail human flesh, born in a cave, so that no one would ever be able to say, well, God, you don't understand. He never had anything. He didn't own a house. He didn't own a donkey. No one can ever say, well, you don't understand. Was falsely accused, beaten for your sin, for my sin, that no one would ever be able to say, well, God, you don't understand. No, Jesus understands perfectly. So that's chapter one. The things which are, now chapter two and three, as John is writing this down, the things which are, chapter 2 and 3. And what we'll get into next week, including the rapture, and the things which will take place after this, chapter 4 and on. The things that will take place after this. So, verse 14. Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel, the messenger, I believe the pastor, of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the amen. The word amen carries the idea of truth, so be it. So when you hear somebody in the flock maybe say amen, they're saying that's the truth, so be it, or certain, certain. They are basically saying that they agree with what is being said, that it's true. It's true. When you hear somebody say amen, they're agreeing, you know, that's true. Or they might be saying, you know what, that is certain. Or they might be saying, that's factual. And notice I have that underlined, that's factual. Keep that in mind here for a few moments. Factual. Again, they're saying what is being said can be trusted, is a faithful saying, it comes from the Bible, the Word of God. And when a person honestly looks at the history surrounding the Bible, it's unbelievable how factual the Bible is. You see, on a regular basis, those who specialize in the area of archaeology are finding evidence that verifies the facts of the Bible. But those facts, unfortunately, they don't rack up hits on social media accounts. 
No, the current generation of young people, those who are growing up within the church as well as outside the church, are bombarded with the information of this world. And what is being drilled into their minds and souls is that facts don't matter. Your feelings will lead you to the truth. Now, think of when you were a teenager. Has that changed? Maybe for you, maybe you're one of those teenagers that just lovingly obeyed your parents. Most of us will probably say, no, they talked the facts, but I lived on my feelings. And they weren't very smart. But you know, when I got around 25 or 30, all of a sudden they got really smart. I don't know what happened, but they got smart. You see, it hasn't changed, which means we need to have an open heart for the young people even this day. They're no different than you and I, except they have a lot more pressure due to that device that wasn't around when I was a teenager. That device was nailed to a wall and had a long cord. So apply that to the Bible and to Christianity. They're being told that the Bible and Christians today, in 2023, in America especially, but this is happening in other countries, that the Bible and Christians promote hate. They don't love those who participate in certain lifestyles. And unfortunately, the younger generation is not searching the web for the facts of the history of the Bible. But looking to their parents, their peers, their teachers, and going by what they feel. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I can identify with this perfectly. I was there. I was there. But let's remember, as we're looking at this, we're addressing the lukewarm church here. Now compare that to the generations gone by. For hundreds and hundreds of years, most Americans had a conviction that the Bible was true, period. The Bible was true, period. The facts may be out there, but they were irrelevant to the certain extent because the Bible was just true, period. But herein lies the problem of our current culture. Where's the conviction? Where's the conviction? If it's true, then your life as a believer, as a parent, as a single person, as a marital couple, as a young Bible-believing Christian, as the oldest Bible-believing Christian in this room this morning, if that conviction is true then my life and your life as a believer should show that it's true. And why are so many people leaving the church? You know, in simplicity, because those within the church are not living out their convictions due to the fear of social media consequences. And now I know I'm painting with a wide brush here as there are those who do live out their true biblical convictions. But as a whole, step back and look at the church universally. The church in America and in the world is no longer showing the fruit of conviction, but living a life of compromise. You know, someone might say, you know, I certainly don't want someone to mock, ridicule, or cancel me. You know, I'm just going to go with the flow because this will really upset my family. 
This will really upset my peers if I take a certain stance. No, the saints need to get back to and stick with the amen, the truth, the certainty of absolutes. Because why? Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Do you know today in America media, it's being promoted that Jesus was trans, that Jesus was homosexual, that Jesus had a thing going with Mary Magdalene. That's reality. And so you as a Bible-believing Christian, you need to be ready to take a stand and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did you get that from? Show me in the Bible where you got that from. They will not be able to show you because it's not there. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus loves the sinner. We love the sinner. Jesus never condoned sin. Jesus never compromised on sin. We need to have that same mentality. We love the sinner. We don't compromise with the sin. It will cost you. It will cost me. He goes on to say, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. So is he? That's the question I ask myself, and that's the question I ask you. You see, as believers, this is where our convictions have to come into play. If we as believers really do trust that what Jesus said is true, then our convictions should follow after that truth, and the next generation should be able to see those convictions. Is divorce the best option for our Christian convictions? This is so sad. The church in 23, still statistically, 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. Where's the conviction? Where's Jesus? I mean, guys, think that's what the world's saying. What good is your Bible? What good is your Jesus? What good is you going to church? What, what's up with you people? You're no better than me. In some ways, they're absolutely correct. So we have to take it seriously. Is adultery the best option for our Christian convictions? Well, it's just an emotional affair. It's not an affair. There's nothing fair about it. It's emotional adultery. Call it what it is. It's adultery. Is cheating at a game the best option for our Christian convictions? Is speaking evil of someone else the best option for our Christian convictions? Nowhere to speak the truth in love. And sometimes that might sound evil, but if we're doing it in love, it's grace and mercy. Is posting something that is obviously unbiblical on our social media page, including pictures, the best option for our Christian convictions? Remember the world's looking at you as a Christian and... You want to be careful what you post, including pictures of yourself. Are they modest? Are they appropriate? Are they biblical? 
And again, remember, we're addressing a lukewarm church here. You see, the next generation, the young generation, they're often witnessing that our convictions do not match the supposed truth of the word. So the question that many young people are asking is, so why believe in the Bible? There's little to no evidence to back it up. Are they talking about historical evidence? They're not talking about historical evidence. They're talking about our walk with the Lord. We know, again, that there's factual evidence beyond our wildest imaginations about the Bible. And it can easily be found on the internet. But the next generation is looking for factual evidence in the lives of the believers around them. How about a convicting verse? It's easy to memorize. A bunch of twos. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. And this is very important for you and I. It's not self-righteousness. I'm better than you, righteousness. Because we're not better than anybody. The word righteousness, when you see that, it just means being right with God. God, I want to be right with you. I messed up. I had this thought, I did this thing, whatever it is, I repent, I want to be right with you. Repent, you might be new to the Christian faith or not Christian yet, just means to turn to God. Turn from what you're doing and turn to God. Convictions. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, I see these attributes happening in this church. There's no question about that. I see these attributes, but not in the universal church. The universal church is compromising to the whims of the culture, afraid to take a stand and to be that faithful witness for the truth. And if you'd like to see an example of that taking place, check out the conference that Pastor Andy Stanley, a megachurch, in Atlanta, Georgia, is hosting the group Embracing the Journey. Feel free to go onto their website and check out what Embracing the Journey means to them. Is presenting Unconditional Conference 2023. It's a very sad commentary indeed. And basically, it's loving people to hell. And that is never the answer. But that's what our society wants you to do as a Bible-believing Christian. And if you don't do it, you're hateful. You don't like my lifestyle, you're hateful. You don't agree with what I think, you're hateful. It's just to get you scared. Because who wants to be here, you're hateful. It doesn't bother me. Call it, say I'm hateful. It doesn't bother me. I know I'm not. You got to know who you are in Christ. And come back then with them with love. And if they don't want to hear it, they don't want to hear it. As we continue on, these things are, say, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. There are those who will use this statement to say, see, Jesus was the first one to be created. He's not God. God created him. By making that statement, these groups of people are attacking the deity, the deity, the divinity of Jesus, that he is not God. Unfortunately, what they forget to mention, and you can figure this out, I'm not a Greek scholar, is that this phrase does not address the idea of creation or creating things, but the Greek wording actually teaches us that he is over all, he is the head over all of creation. 
You see, the word shows us in hundreds of verses, hundreds of verses, that Jesus claimed to be God and also proved himself to be God. But our spiritual enemy will always try to bring Jesus down to that created being to what? To attack his deity. So the idea here is not that he was a created being, but that he is over all creation. Can a believer support that? Can you support that? Well, here's a few verses. Colossians 1. Write them down. Take a picture of it. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Christ, Jesus, Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one in the Greek. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when the disciples said, show us the Father, and Jesus says, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not that they're twins, but he comes in that representation of the Heavenly Father. He, now as you do your study, you're going to find out that the he in these various verses here is Jesus. It's going back to Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. That ties in with Ephesians chapter 6. Those spiritual forces of wickedness, the fallen angels. Jesus created the angels a certain amount rebelled. We don't know exactly. We can say maybe a third from Revelation, but we don't know exactly. Rebelled, and they're called now demons, demonic forces, fallen angels. Jesus created them before they fell. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. How about John 1, 1 through 3? In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was a God. Jehovah Witnesses. You need to know your Bible. They're sincere people. They knock on way more doors than I've ever knocked on. They're sincerely wrong, and you need to understand that. Inserting one little letter, A, before God, says that anybody can become a God. Jesus was just one God amongst many. No. And as you do your studies, you're going to find out the word there is pointing back to Jesus. So you can just substitute Jesus there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Back in Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says to the believers or the unbelievers, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Notice the desire of Christ. He loves these people. He's not condemning them. He loves them. He wants them to repent. He wants them to be on fire. He wants to have a personal relationship with them. So then because you are lukewarm, I am neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Very important there. We'll get to that in a little bit. Jesus gives no commendation, but rather goes right to the heart of the matter, which always is the matter of the heart. You see this morning, as the Holy Spirit is around us, para, for the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to the cross. The Holy Spirit is in us, E-N-I-N in English, 
The Holy Spirit is convicting. The Holy Spirit is drawing us. If we have ears to hear, if we're available to hear what the Holy Spirit might be desiring to share with us, it's all about my heart. Not about your heart. I don't know your heart. And if I get real with the Bible, I don't know my heart. Because the Bible says my heart is desperately wicked. And I do see that come out every now and then. And so I totally agree with the Bible. But what God does show me about my heart, he empowers me to have a transformed life. So it's about the heart. You see, there were hot springs that originated in a nearby area of the Heropolis. And so the Laodiceans built a system that would transport this hot water to Laodicea by aqueducts. Unfortunately, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. There was also cold water that was brought from the mountain streams through aqueducts supplied by nearby Colossae. The springs were clear and refreshing, but again, by the time the water got to Laodicea, the water was lukewarm. And so the Lord once again uses a practical illustration that the church in Laodicea, the believers, the unbelievers, would have been very familiar with to teach them a spiritual principle. If you're not hot for the ways of the Lord, or if you're hot for the ways of the Lord, you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and ready to receive what He has for you. If you're cold for the Lord, you're most likely in rebellion, maybe an unbeliever, but at least you're probably still open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The most dangerous place to be is that area of indifference. I'm okay, you're okay, you want to follow Jesus your way, go right ahead. That is the most dangerous area, and that's where the church in Laodicea was. You see, there's only one way to follow Jesus, and that's the biblical way, using the whole counsel of God. A physical analogy today might be like this. Who likes a cup of lukewarm coffee? Not too many people. Or a cup of lukewarm tea? Or how about a glass of lukewarm soda? Or worst, how about a glass of nice lukewarm milk? I mean, no way. We have a tendency to spit it back into the cup. You know, we're nice about it. We spit it back into the cup. What does Jesus say? I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, there's a few times where I've hugged the great white throne. And when it comes out, it's coming out hard and fast. Where all of a sudden your muscles, your gut muscles are like, oh, that hurt. But then your mind goes, oh, I feel so much better. This is what Jesus is saying. Not that he's literally going to vomit you out. But as you step before the great white throne judgment without Jesus, he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It's your decision. You can follow after Christ. You can follow after God. Or you'll be damned for eternity. You see, judgment is coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. And we're not going to be able to stop it. It's happening exponentially with AI. There's no stopping it. And remember that judgment begins in the house of God. 17, Revelation 3, 17. 
Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye sap, that you may see. See, Jesus makes this observation about their Christian walk. You're monetarily rich, so rich, that you don't think you need help, support, or counsel from anyone else. I have need of anything, of nothing. I have need of nothing. You know, I personally think that self-reliance is really only a recent school of thought in America. For centuries, people knew that they needed one another. You see, we need one another to survive the tragedies that come into our lives or upon our nation, such as a war, a famine, pestilence, or other natural disasters. Children were always an asset on the farm. The more, the better. We actually do need one another. But over the last five decades, we've been told to become independent of one another. Who needs a marital commitment? Who needs it? Just a piece of paper. Living together is okay. Relationships come and go. Families don't need one another. Head out and start your own way in life. Have some kids or don't have some kids. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. Teenagers, and I'm not picking on teenagers because we were all teenagers. And I think we can all identify with this. Teenagers have been encouraged to openly rebel against their families. Now, maybe you weren't encouraged to do that, or maybe you just didn't receive it. I openly rebelled against my parents. Through TV, music, and social media platforms, they've had access to for decades now. Only to find out that their Bible-believing families really did love them and desired the best for them. Don't give up on that, guys. No matter what people say about you, love your families, but speak the truth in love. They might get mad. They might call you this, call you that. They might leave you. You're not invited to the parties anymore. You love Jesus. Don't compromise and don't become lukewarm. Jesus says your self-reliance amounts to nothing. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritually, you're nowhere near where you should be. Does this relate to Queen Creek at all? You know, in 03, when we came out to start a church, there was not one. Well, there, no, there wasn't a full stoplight. There was one light. It was a red and a yellow in downtown Green Creek. Basically, every intersection was a four-way stop. How about now? Do we have need of anything? Literally, do we have a need of anything? What, what more could come out here? And how many people were saying, you know what, we're fine. We don't need church. We don't need your Bible. We don't need Jesus. We're fine. We're okay. Really? 50,000 people committed suicide last week, last year? How many of those were in Arizona? How many people died of fentanyl last year? Over 100,000. How many died of murder? I mean, we could keep going down the list. Are we fine? Are we really fine as a society? We try to paint that picture. Stock market's still okay. We don't need God. Now let's think about this community in the eyes of the world because this city was known for a few things that actually put them on the map. They were known for their financial means. They had banking abilities. They minted their own coins. 
They even rebuilt their own city after an earthquake wiped it out. They refused, they refused to accept any financial aid from Rome. But in the eyes of God, what were they? They were poor. What the church really lacked was spiritual wealth. You see, when you get to heaven, you're going to have, you have an account. And when you and I get to heaven, what we stored up in heaven is going to be our reward. The Bible doesn't tell us what we're going to do with those. We know we're going to throw them at the Lord's feet, but there are rewards. So I encourage you to invest in heavenly rewards. They had an ointment that was supposed to heal eye ailments, but in reality, it was good for nothing. It was basically snake oil. It was a cheap local commodity that created a great marketing scheme, but had no medicinal purposes whatsoever. They were still blind, even though they proclaimed they could see. You see, what the church really lacked was spiritual vision. That God is going to judge us. That God doesn't play games. And here Jesus is telling the very church, I'm judging you, and I'm not playing games. They were also known for their unique shiny black garments. They had the latest in the clothing industry, yet they were actually naked in the eyes of God. You see, the Holy Spirit knows the heart and the facade many have in the world and lets them know what they already knew about themselves. That they are miserable inside, even though they appear to have it all together on the outside. Look at the silver screen. Look at Disney, the happiest place on earth. Saddest place. What the church really lacked was a spiritual covering. So what was the Lord's counsel? We read it in verse 18. Turn back to Him. Don't trust in your earthly possessions. I believe that day is coming for you and I as well. All the signs are there. By the end of this year, Americans, America's debt is going to be at least $33 trillion. At least. By the end of September, it might get pushed above that. A report just came out this past week. I'm not sure what it all included. And I think I had the number right. Um, check it out. But uh, other debt, personal debt, which is probably homes, cars, education in America, I think it was 26 trillion dollars of debt what's happening right now in America under the radar but it's happening as people are turning in their credit cards they're saying you know what I'm declaring bankruptcy it's somebody else's problem we racked it up I can't afford it we're done and they're turning it in that guys it happened in 08 for those of you who weren't here and house in Queen Creek was 1500 square foot house in Queen Creek was $95,000 in 03 out there in Santan Valley. It went up to $250,000 in 08. It came back down to below $95,000 in 9 and 10. Some of them were selling for $20,000 a house. They're predicting it's going to be worse than 08, 09. Oh, yeah, but the stock market. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're forgetting God. Amen. Judgment is coming. You see, I would encourage you, we're out of time. Read Isaiah 55. Obviously, the Lord is not talking about actual funds, monetary, because these people were physically rich, that they were spiritually poor. You see, money may be able to buy a lot of commodities, gold, clothing, medicine, 
but it cannot buy a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. As the music team comes up. Let's look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, discipline, correct. Therefore, he's talking to the church here, the believers that are in the church, the unbelievers that might be a part of the church. Be zealous and repent. This is Jesus speaking, a term that most churches won't use nowadays. Well, we won't use the term repent because that will offend people and then we'll we'll lose their money. We can't use the word sin because that will offend people and we'll lose their money. We can't talk about trans or homosexuality or adultery or abusing prescription drugs or pornography because we'll lose their money. Let's just love them to hell so that we can keep paying for our building. Is that true Christianity? But that's what a majority of Christianity is going through right now. You see, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He has set up boundaries for us as believers. And when we push against those boundaries, He lovingly disciplines us. Notice that. As many as I love. Do you know that you're loved by God? I do. And discipline isn't fun, but it's good. He wants us to be mature, just like we discipline our children for maturity purposes. Hopefully you're not punishing your kids. Hopefully you're disciplining them for the maturing process. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now this is the door of the heart, the soul. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I think we got a picture. There's the picture. Many, many years ago, a painter painted this picture and he started to show his peers. And his peers said, hey, Leon, that's a beautiful picture. But there's a problem. There's no doorknob. And the painter said, no, that's not an error. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. You have to open the door. He's not going to kick it in. That applies to us today in 23. Jesus is opening the door to 8 billion people. You and I have the opportunity to be that representation of Jesus knocking at the door to a few of those 8 billion people. In our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at the store, our relatives, whatever it might be. But I want to encourage you as we look at this last lukewarm church here. Don't follow your heart. That's being said even in Christian circles. Just follow your heart. Unbiblical counsel. Follow the word of God and the convictions of the Holy Spirit. He will never lead you to sin. He will never lead me to sin. The Holy Spirit never will lead us into sin. He will always lead us to be right with God. Whatever that looks like in your life or my life, he will always lead us to be right with God. Father, we thank you and praise you for these churches. We've learned a lot. But Lord, we didn't learn it just for head knowledge because anybody, an unbeliever could do that. An unbeliever could quote these verses. That's not what it's about. It's a heart transformation. And Lord, as we continue to read our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to read over these, these verses, these churches, two times a year. And if we have spiritual eyes every day when we read, we'll allow your Holy Spirit to spiritually minister to us and convict us, to exhort us, 
to challenge us. Father, that's such a blessing. We don't want to be left on our own. Most of us know what that leads to. We don't want to be left on our own. We desire more of your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, direct us. Father, I thank you and praise you in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 that your word says that you are the God of all comfort. Nothing else on this earth will comfort us. You, Father, will comfort us. That's your desire. And maybe even this morning, there's someone in this room, or maybe there's several people in this room that need comfort. Father, I pray that they would get into your word, that they would search the scriptures on comfort, on peace, on love and grace and mercy, that they would realize you are such a loving God and that you do discipline us because you want us to be more like Jesus. Father, we thank you for knowing us better than we know ourselves. And again, don't ever let us take the throne. Keep us where we belong, at your feet. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.